Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 37. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. 
This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as was command, it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but this chapter was written by who? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has gone through this experience of being separated from his kingdom and living like an animal for a period of time. We'll deal with how long that is in just a little bit. And at the end of it, he now writes this chapter in Daniel's book to the people, all the people that are under his power and his authority, to let them know that God is God and he's the most high. Now, this whole chapter covers God's humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar causing him to live like an animal for, I believe, seven years. It does said periods of time, but as you use that word that's translated time, it's actually the same word that's translated in Daniel 7. Go to Daniel 7 and look at verse 25. Daniel 7, verse 25. In the prophecy in, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it's talking about the Antichrist, and it says, He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and th shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. If you've been a part of our Revelation studies, you know that that's how long. Three and a half years, 42 months, and all, all the different uh, numbers that the Scripture used to show us that the time period that the Antichrist will be in full control. He'll confirm a covenant for seven years, but on the halfway point of that covenant, he's going to make himself declared himself to be God, step into the wing of the temple, and for three and a half years, which is described here as a time, that's one, times, there's two of those, so that's a total of three, 
and half a time. That's three and a half years. That same word translated times is the one we see back in Daniel chapter 4. So seven periods of time, most likely was seven years that he had to live as an animal living off the grass of the field. Then he went mentally insane, if you will, to have a mind like an animal. So this was God's humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you have been tracking, you'll notice that Nebuchadnezzar has already been introduced to God a few times already, hasn't he? But even though he's acknowledged that God exists, he still sees God prior to this as among the gods and himself still among the gods. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verses 46 and 47. At the end of Daniel being used to interpret the dream, the first one that he had of the, the, the image of head of gold and chest of silver and all that, then verse 46, Then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So he says, your God is a God of the God. He's among the gods. I mean, he's, we're going we're to add your God to the rest of the gods that we worship. He's a god of the gods. And, 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 and how does he describe Daniel? He says, oh, you have the spirit of the holy gods within you. In other words, he's still at this time, prior to this dream, and ter- believes that there are many gods. And he's willing to acknowledge that, okay, your god was able to give you the dream and the interpretation, which my other guys couldn't do. Your god's pretty powerful. Go to chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, It's true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods, plural, or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? So again, here we see he still believes at this time in many gods, and he sees He's himself as one of them. Who's the God that can deliver you out of my hands? I'm on that same level with these gods that they believed in, although you hopefully understand there are no gods except one. But go to Daniel chapter 3 and look at what he says at the end of the fiery furnace episode, verses 28 and 29. Daniel 3, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way." Now, is he acknowledging that there's no other God? No, he's just saying, okay, your God, Daniel, is able to interpret dreams. Your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is able to keep you from the fire. Uh, That's an impressive God. I still see him among the many gods. By the way, let me just stop real quick. There are still people in the world today and all over the globe who believe in many gods. But I want to talk to you about, real quickly, You do understand there's only one God, right? All right. Now, at the same time, though, that only one God has made it very, very clear that there's only one way to him. You'll have people who say, I believe in one God, but I believe there are many ways to him. And let me just warn you, there's a movement out there across the globe that has been gaining momentum and actually has been having some help from the Roman Catholic Church a little bit, a little bit. 
And that is that there's this movement that one of the reasons why we have wars and all this stuff happening on the globe is because of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And if we could get all three of these world religions to understand that they all can trace themselves back to Abraham, we could get rid of all the wars. And folks, let me just tell you, they're trying to say that there's only one God, but he's all the same. The Islam God's the same as the Jewish God. And, and, and here's the deal. The God of the Jews is the God of Christians. But at the same time, there's only one way to that God of the Jews and the God of Christians, and that is through Jesus Christ. And Allah is not God. But people will say there's many ways. Back then, they believed in many gods, and some still do. But a lot of people may be willing to say, I think there's only one God, but I believe there's many ways to him. Please understand, just like there is only one God, there is only one way to that God. And you need to keep that in your mind because it's going to become a bigger and bigger issue as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Go to Daniel chapter 4, though, at the, verses 28 through 30. Look at what he says now. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, it says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is it not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? So even though he's been introduced to God a few times through Daniel's episode, through the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego episode. And even though he's acknowledged that he's pretty powerful, he can interpret dreams when the other gods couldn't. He can rescue you from the fire when the other gods couldn't. And we're not going to let anybody talk bad about that god. He still sees himself as a god as well. And what does God do? Introduces him to himself again and shows him that he is the most high god now, I'm going to give you a scripture verse, and I want you to write it down, look at it later on. You're going to see it come back over and over, but not that actual verse. But what's in that verse is going to be coming back over and over in our study tonight. Listen to Matthew 23, verse 12. Matthew 23, verse 12 says this. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Do you hear it? Whoever, we can put it backwards if you want. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Let me say something to you, folks. The Bible says very, very clearly that humility and being humbled is in your future. I don't know if you caught that from Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You're going to be humbled either way. But you're going to find tonight through our study that God doesn't just say that one time in Matthew 23, 12. He says it over and over and I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit. Go to James chapter 4. Go to James chapter 4 and look at verse 6. Keep this one in mind as well, because you'll see this one again as well. And James chapter 4, verse 6, look what it says. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Tonight's lesson, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, is on humility. And on the fact that God wants us to be humble at all times before him and amongst each other. And if you're not willing to humble yourself, he is quite able to humble you. And he's very good at it. At the end of the seven years, Nebuchadnezzar finally came to realize that God, Jehovah, is the most high God. Go back to Daniel chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Look at how many times he repeats this now over and over. 
Daniel chapter 4, verse 2, look at what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages, verse 1, that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Look at verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. This, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Go to verse 24. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High. High, which has come upon my Lord the King. Verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And verse 26, as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Jump over to verses 31 and 32. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Jump over to verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now I don't know fully if at this point Nebuchadnezzar has come to believe there's only one God, but we can definitely acknowledge that at this point he's come to acknowledge the God of Daniel is not just among the gods. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not among the gods. He is the most high God, and he's the king of heaven. I hope that at this point Nebuchadnezzar believes there's only one God. But at the same time, we do know that God has got him to come to a deeper understanding of his authority, God's authority and his power. By the way, I don't know if you know this. I hope you do. We hopefully all realize that this whole world, this universe, is all about God and his glory. Go with me back to Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 33. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 33. And we're going to read verses 33 through 36 and then jump down to verses 12, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 11, look at verse 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The NIV puts it this way. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and knowledge of God. How his paths are beyond tracing out. In other words, you're never going to figure God out. Look what it says on next here in verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are what? All things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Now. Paul then goes on and says in chapter 12, verses one and two, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, because of the fact that this is all about God and he owes us nothing. 
He doesn't need our counsel. It's all about him, through him, and for him. And to him will be the glory forever and ever. Because of his mercy, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Because even though it's all about him, he's allowed us to be a part of this. If we're humble enough to just let him use us for his purposes. If we're humble enough to just be willing to accept the role that God has for us. And understand that it's about his glory and his plan. Now let me just stop real quick before we go to the rest of chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. And let me just say to you that this kind of preaching that we're going to get into tonight, you're not going to hear in a lot of Christian churches today. Especially if you go on TV. Because a lot of preaching today has been designed to feed the flesh of man. Paul here says, since it's all about him, we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice or lay our flesh on the altar on a daily basis. We need to renew our minds that it's about him and not about me. See, let me explain something to you. You got a problem that the world, the lost world has. You say, wait a minute, Jim, I'm different from the lost world. Oh, you are in many ways, but you have the same problem the lost world has. Let me explain what I mean. Back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they were tempted by Satan with this offer. You can be like God, determining right and wrong, good and evil. You get to call the shots. When they took a bite of the fruit they weren't supposed to, they listened to Satan instead of God, and a curse came upon them and all mankind that passed on to all of us. And the lost world today wants to be God. Would we not agree that everybody's getting up in arms and they're using social media and all the different ways that they have to, to, to riot or to protest or to uh, just intimidate others to, get, to believe what you believe? And, and if you don't believe what I believe, I'm going to do something to you or I'm not going to buy your product anymore. And everybody wants to be in charge of how everybody else should live their life. Isn't that what's going on in the world? Be careful. Those of us who are Christians have the same problems still. Because even though we're forgiven of our sins and we're guaranteed eternity by the sealing of the Spirit of God, we're still in the same flesh that they have. When you got saved, did you lose 15 pounds? Did your cholesterol drop? It had no effect on your flesh. Your body's still decaying, is it not? And what's happening in Christian circles today and has been for all, for all along? Many of you grew up in church where churches are fighting right now over worship methods, fighting over what we think is the right kind of music versus the wrong kind of music, fighting over how you're to dress or not dress, fighting over all different kinds of things. And even Christians today are using the same worldly methods of, well, let's not go buy at that store and let's boycott this. Folks, the Bible says we're not to fight with the weapons of the world. Actually, Jesus went and ate with sinners he went and lived among them. He wasn't of them. He didn't do what they did, but he went in and it was among them. But what the church has done, without realizing it, we still have that same problem. We want to be God. We want to control how things go. we got dreams and plans and things we want to accomplish. And there's preaching out there today that says to Christians, you can be anything you want to be. You can dream big things for God. You can achieve great things for God. And listen to me. It sounds good because it feeds your flesh. But if we're faithful to the scriptures, the scriptures all along, and you're going to see this tonight, say that the true response of a real Christian is to humbly accept the role that the Father has for him. If there's anything he wants to exalt you in, let him do it in his time and in his way. You need to be satisfied with the lot that you've been given. When they came to John the Baptist in John chapter 3, they said, hey, uh, don't you realize that guy you baptized over there at the Jordan? Uh, many people are going to him. 
And uh, John the Baptist said this. You can double check me. It's in John chapter 3. He said this. He said, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase. I must decrease. If you were to go on in chapter 12 here to verse 3, which we won't get into tonight, it said, Paul says this. Let none of you think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each with sober judgment, each in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. If your role is this, use it in proportion to your faith. You do know that the Bible says in the parable of the talents that God gave some five talents, others two and another one, each according to their ability. And actually, the Bible says that we are to be willing to say, Lord, if this is all you have for me, I am grateful and I thank you because you've already proven your love for me by sending your son to die for me when I didn't deserve it, when I was a sinner, when I was your enemy. And you did that for me. Anything else I get is gravy. If you've got other things you want to do, you do it. You make it happen. But we've been taught to go market, strategy, uh, come up with plans, achieve great things for God, dream big, do great things. Listen closely to me, folks. Satan was given a role in heaven, which was a good one. He was a guardian cherub. He was able to walk among the coals of fire. But he wasn't satisfied with the role that God had for him, and he wanted to be God. By the way, the Bible says that Jesus himself, who was God, in Philippians chapter 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he took the role of a servant, even though that role of a servant meant death on a cross. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Even though he was God, he didn't take that as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Folks, you will look more like Jesus if you stop trying to achieve great things for God and just willing to do what it is he has for you to do and let the rest of it happen. Well, let's let the scripture speak to us. Go to James chapter 4. Back in, as you're going to James chapter 4, the rest of Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, because it's all about him and by his mercies, he's allowed us to be a part of what he's doing. Offer your bodies, your flesh as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the daily, that's it's what in the Greek it shows, the daily renewing of your mind. Listen, then you'll be able to know what his will is for you. If you willingly humble yourself and say, Lord, I just want to submit myself to whatever you have for, for me. And if this is all it is, I'm good. Then you'll know what he has for you. But look at James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, look at verses 7 through 11. Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. Jesus is speaking and he says this, he says he told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and come to say to you, give your place to this person and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wait a minute. Didn't we already see that that was in Matthew 23, verse 12? There it is again. Go to Luke chapter 18. Look at verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the humble one, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Good grief, there it is again. Do you think God might be trying to get our attention? By the way, as I get older, I have to be real, real careful because of the prophet in me that God's kind of wired me for sometimes wants to take over without the Spirit's control. Bible says that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You can't just, anybody says, well, I couldn't help it. I was under the power of the spirit. I had no control. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when God does something through you, you still have control. But I've had many a person come up to me as I, I go to churches all around. It happened to me again this past weekend. Everywhere I go, I'll come in to speak at a church and people will come up and introduce themselves to me. Hello, I'm brother so-and-so. I'm a deacon here. And I, everything in me wants to say, who cares? Why do you think I need to know that? Do you think I'll be impressed by the fact that you're a deacon? The Bible actually says the true attitude of a deacon is you don't care if you get the parking space or anybody even notices. I've had people come up and say to me, I'm a charter member. My family's been here the longest. And at times I want to go, big whoop. Folks, listen to me. I had a lady back in New Jersey come up to me one Sunday after preaching, and she says, I probably shouldn't do this. And I said, well, stop. <laughs> she goes, what? I go, if you shouldn't do it, don't do it. She goes, but I want to. <laughs> I go, but I want to keep you from sinning. If you shouldn't do it, I don't want you to do it. She was going to complain about something that I had said. And she said, but now you've got me all confused. I said, let's start over. You came to me and said, I probably shouldn't do this. I stopped you and said, then don't do it. But I have a right to, I think. Well, even if you feel like you have a right to, if it's a wrong thing, don't do it. Well, I'm just going to do it anyway. I don't like what and all this stuff. But listen, we've got this problem within us. And just because we're Christians, we have to be careful. You've fallen into it as well. I've fallen into it as well. How many times have things gone in your life the way you didn't really want them to go? And your first thought was, Lord, I've been serving you. Lord, I've earned a little better treatment. You've got to be careful. That's why the Bible says that we have to renew our minds on a daily basis. This is about him and his glory, not about me and my glory. This is not about my plans. Oh, he teaches me to ask. He tells me to, to seek him and to knock. And he tells me to ask for good things and to believe that he's generous and that he's for me. But never move into the part that he now has to do something because I said so. Keep the humble attitude. Go to Proverbs. Now, well, actually, we'll go to 1 Peter 5 first. Then we'll go to Proverbs 29. Go to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Look at verses 5 through 11. First Peter 5, verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have we seen that one before, too? Do you remember James 4, 6? Folks, I don't know if you caught it yet, but this is all through the whole Bible. Keep reading. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, comfort, sorry, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go to Proverbs 29. Look at verse 23. Some of you are saying, I thought we were studying the book of Daniel. I thought we were going to look at Nebuchadnezzar. We'll come back to Nebuchadnezzar, but really, God has Nebuchadnezzar's story in there, and Nebuchadnezzar wrote that chapter so that all people would understand that there's a most high God, and he's able to humble those who are proud. Proverbs 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. If you're to be exalted or appreciated or noticed, let God take care of that. Don't try to take care of it for yourself. Folks, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but we all struggle with pride. Don't think for a second that you don't. If anybody's here saying, well, I don't really struggle with pride. It's not an issue. Guess what? <laughs> That's one of the evidences that you struggle with it. Is you're so prideful you don't even realize you have pride. But there's different types of pride. There's a type of pride where you think you're better than people. I don't, really don't think I'm better than people. I don't struggle with that. There are those who think they're better than others. But there's another type of pride that I struggle with, and I'm just going to tell you. It's, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to think I'm amazing. I, as a dad, after I would do so much for my kids, the things that got me angry, I don't get very angry. I'm just one of these people that I don't really have a fuse. I don't even, I, I, my wife and kids will tell you, they've hardly ever seen dad angry. It's rare, because I just don't get angry. But the things that usually set me off are when I don't really feel like I've been respected or appreciated. Some of you might understand this. You, your bigger issue when you're in your, an issue with your, your spouse is you just want to be understood. Just want to be understood. It's a form of pride. We all want control. Some of you do have a temper. Do you know why you get angry? Because you don't have control. Oh, by the way, some of you are worriers. You fear. Do you know why you worry in your fear? Because you don't have control. Do you see the importance of laying yourself on the altar on a daily basis and saying, Lord, Renew my mind today with the truth of your word. It's about you. It's not about me. Let's go back and look at Nebuchadnezzar's latest dream from God. And how he went and forgot what God had done the last time. He has another dream. And like the last time, he seeks the wisdom of the group of guys who couldn't help him last time. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. 
Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. By the way, how'd that work out? None of them could do it. Now, again, he was asking something crazy. I don't want you to just give me the interpretation. You've got to tell me what I dreamed. Well, they even said no one's able to do it. But afterwards, who was able to do it? Daniel, because of God. And Daniel made clear, it's not because I'm smart or anything, it's because of God. And there is a God who interprets dreams. And listen, he then exalts Daniel over all the magicians and all the enchanters and all of his wise men. He actually is in authority. He's the head of all of them. And now a few years later, God gives him another dream. And instead of going to Daniel, I mean, we even read tonight in Daniel 4, when he went to Daniel, finally, after checking with the other guys again first, he says, oh, I know you're able to do it because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay, if that's the case, Nebuchadnezzar, why didn't you just go to Daniel first? Why would you go and check with all these rascals who weren't able to do it before? Listen closely. Here's why. Because Nebuchadnezzar has the same problem you and I have. It's called default mode. Default mode is when you fall back into how... You've always done it. Folks, that's one of the problems for all of us. Even though the Bible shows us over and over that God wants us to walk with him on a daily basis, being led of the spirit on a daily basis, not falling back into default mode. If you go all the way back to Daniel, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8, you'll see that God says to the nation of Israel, I led you these 40 years in the wilderness. I did it to humble you. I did it to test you, to show you what was in your heart. I also did it to teach you that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Oh, by the way, I didn't fully quote that passage. He actually said, I humbled you and I made you hungry and I made you thirsty and I fed you with manna, which you had never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen before, so that you would know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He then in chapter 8, verse 16, says the same thing again. He says, I fed you with manna, which your fathers had never seen before to do you good in the end. Listen closely. You've heard me teach on this before. It's one of the chapters of my book of the principles of a God-centered church. God never duplicates a method. He never healed a blind person the same way twice. One time he says, strike the rock. Another time, speak to the rock. Walls of Jericho was successful. Never had him walk around another city. The instructions for crossing the Red Sea were different from the instructions for crossing the Jordan. God's always saying, check with me. Check with me. But what do we tend to do when we come into the latest situation we're in? Depend on self. We all can quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and how we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We're never, ever to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're to acknowledge him, and he will direct our paths. But what's our first thought when our situation arises? Just like Nebuchadnezzar, we think to how we've always done it. And we worry, and we panic, and we pull out our calculators, and what have we got to do? And folks, that's one of the problems we have. We still got this flesh. It wants to be in charge. It wants to be in control. And you're going to fight against it until Jesus sets us free from it. That's why I'm looking forward to the rapture more than anything, folks. To not only see Jesus, but I'm also walking with Jesus. People say, I can't wait till I see Jesus. Well, that's great, but you've got him with you now. What are you waiting on? He's here. He'll, he'll speak to you. He'll show you. You can walk with him. He says, you'll know that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. Don't just sit around waiting until the day you get to see Jesus. You have Jesus with you. But you know what I'm looking forward to? What Paul said in Romans chapter 8. He said this, those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, waiting for our adoption as sons, what? The redemption of our bodies. I can't wait to get out of this flesh 
and to be able to serve him and to worship him without the battle, without the struggle. But for his purposes, he's left us here with the curse of sin still in our flesh. So that we will get right to you, Glenn. So that we will daily say, Lord, I choose you. I choose you. Go ahead. In the first case, uh, Nebuchadnezzar told his uh, magicians and stuff that if you can tell me the dream and its interpretation, blah, blah, blah. In this one, he told them the dream. Yep. Instead of doing what he did before. Yeah. This time he said, look, I'll just, I'll even tell you the dream. But again, why wouldn't he just go straight to Daniel? Why would he grab those guys again? Well, not just bad habit. Go to Proverbs 26. Go to Proverbs 26. Look at verses 11 and 12. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. You remember, we've talked about this earlier tonight. Part of the other reason, Glenn, why he went back to these guys, not just going, like we would say, we didn't just go to Daniel first. Remember, he still sees Daniel's God as among the many gods. And these guys are able, in his mind, to get wisdom from the other gods. He still sees God among the gods. So that's part of why he seeks them first. I'm just wondering why he didn't get these guys to say, you tell me the dream. Yeah, he doesn't do that with Daniel either. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't do that with Daniel this time, though. So Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream of a large tree that's a blessing to a lot of birds and animals. And then a holy one uh, comes and proclaims that the tree is to be chopped down, but the stump left and banded with a band of iron and bronze. This holy one, by the way, a watcher, as it was described, is most likely an angel in this case, not Jesus, like when he showed up in the fire with the three, three guys. Uh, this is most likely an angel. A watcher shows us that most likely it's an angel whom God uses to judge. If you, We don't have time to get into it tonight, but if you do a study of the scriptures, you'll realize God uses angels to bring judgment. Remember when he goes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus himself comes before he took on flesh, and he's among the three visitors. But the other two are angels, and they head on down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, they come and rescue Lot and his family, and then they bring the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Revelation 16 talks about that as well. There's lots of times God uses angels to bring judgment. Again, Nebuchadnezzar is told that the dream refers to him and his kingdom, as he's told that he's the tree, that he'll be chopped down, and he's the one specifically that will be made to live like an animal until the seven years pass. And he finally acknowledges that the Most High rules over the affairs of men, and that he alone is in control, that God alone is in control. And all this happened. God kept his kingdom for him, and after the seven years living as an animal, his sense was restored, and he was a new man, ready to worship the true king of kings. But look at verse, chapter 4, verse 27. Notice also that Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that perhaps God will not bring this judgment if he'll humble himself and do right. Look at verse 27. Yeah, he gave him a year. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen, and the judgment comes. And God was merciful. He gave him another whole year. Twelve months later is when it finally happens. Now, I want to go down a road here that might be tricky for some of you. Stick with me. I pray Spirit will help you understand this. God sends Jonah to Nineveh, and the judgment is 40 days and the city will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh immediately respond in repentance. The king even says, put sackcloth and ashes on your animals. 
And God relents, and he doesn't bring the judgment. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verses 19 through 23. Now, set the stage what's going on here. David has committed the sin with Bathsheba. He's made a baby with her. He then tries to get her husband to come back and cover up his sin because there wasn't DNA testing back then. So if he can just get him to come home and sleep with his wife when she has a baby, everybody will think it's his. It'll be their little secret. The guy wouldn't go and sleep with his wife. So he gets him drunk the next night, hoping he'll stumble home and sleep with his wife and cover up his sin. The guy won't do it. So then David, as you know, has him killed. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you've done a bad thing. And the judgment of God is that you're forgiven because you've repented of your sin. But the judgment's still going to come and this child is going to die. Look what happens. David, as you know, begins to pray and to weep and to beg God. He doesn't eat. He doesn't bathe. He just spends those days on his face begging God for forgiveness. Kind of like the people of Nineveh. Would you not agree? But look at what happens in verse 19. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, What's this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. How come the people of Nineveh repented and God said, not bringing the judgment, you're not going to be killed. David did the same thing. He fasted, he wept, he, he begged God. And David was man after God's own heart. We obviously know God likes David a little bit, don't you think? He said no to him when the child died. Here's why. Because God is the most high God and he gets to do things however he wants. And if you have a problem with that, you need to humble yourself or he'll humble you. Folks, if you're at all human, God has not done things in your life the way you would have wanted him to do in every instance. But the true worshipers are the ones like David who say, you know what? I begged him, but he said no, and that's okay. And I'm going to go worship him. He didn't get mad at God because God said no and not go to church anymore. By the way, you've known a few people like that, don't you? I prayed that mama wouldn't die and she died. I'm not going back to church. I don't like God. He doesn't do things the way I want him to. Listen, true humility says, God, you're God. You can do things however you want. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week? They said, and two weeks ago, they said, our God's able to rescue us from this fire, but if he chooses not to, we're still going to worship him. We're still going to trust him. And so, folks, keep in mind, God gets to do things how he wants. I'm not going to, for the sake of time, have you turn there, but write this down and go look at it later on. Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. God has just told Habakkuk, as Habakkuk's cried out to God and says, hey, we're, us in Israel, there's righteous people that are suffering. The wicked people in Israel are prospering. And God, are you paying attention? God says, I do. I am paying attention. I'm actually going to bring a judgment on Israel because of their wickedness. And uh, I'm going to have the Babylonians come down and take you guys captive. But don't worry. After that, I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. Habakkuk, sorry, I, I jumped ahead. He said, that's what my judgment's going to be. The Babylonians are going to come and take you captive. Habakkuk cries out in chapter 2, and he says, that doesn't make any sense to me. I just told you the righteous were suffering and the wicked are prospering, but you're going to take a more wicked nation than us, the Babylonians, and have them prosper by taking us captive. And the righteous of us who are here in Israel are going to suffer more in the process. And God says, I know, but I have a plan, and I'm going to deal with Babylon later on. Habakkuk at chapter 3 humbles himself and says, you're God and I'm not. Be honest with you, I'm not excited about this. But even if there's no leaves on the tree and no vine in the field, no fig on the vine, I'll wait patiently for that day and I'll worship you. You're God and you get to do things how you want. Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, look at verse 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Do you see it? Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. Can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? But we do, don't we? Anybody have any idea why you still question God? Anybody have any idea why you still question God? Because we still have that flesh. And that's why we need to daily, daily remind ourselves that he's God and we're not. That's why we need to fill ourselves with the truth of the word and let God speak to us and, and, and renew our minds. But at the same time, encourage us that he's good, he's loving, he's just. That's why in Romans chapter 5, Paul says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that we're right with him and he's poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. And if he died for us when we were his, with sinners and his enemies, how much more would we be saved from his wrath? We may not like what he's doing right now, but he's good and he's perfect and he's just and everything he does is right. Nebuchadnezzar does not repent, so the judgment came. Beware of pride, folks. By the way, if you were to go look at 1 Samuel, you'll know that, does anybody know what the pro first prophecy that Samuel was given as a young boy to give was? We all know about this prophet. Hopefully you know about the prophet Samuel, the great prophet Samuel, the one anointed David, the one who's been a mighty man of God and does a lot of amazing things. Does anybody know what his first prophecy was? A lot of people don't. It'll surprise you. We all know the story where he's a young boy given to uh, the Lord and he goes to work for Eli. And Eli, the, the, the priest there, has got a couple of sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they're really wicked guys. They're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do in their role. They're, instead of taking the portion that's supposed to be given to the priest, they're actually taking what they want. Instead of burning the fat off and then offering it to God, they're like, no, give it with us with the fat on it. We want it the way we want. They're having sex with the women who come and work at the temple. They're doing bad stuff. And Eli, unfortunately, goes and says, guys, you need to slow down on that, you know, but he doesn't remove them from their office. He's, he's more interested in keeping family peace than he is obeying God. And God then starts to speak 
to Samuel because he stopped speaking to Eli. And he's laying in bed as a young boy, and God says, Samuel. And he gets up, and he runs to Eli and says, you called me. And, God, and Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And God that night comes and says again, Samuel. And Samuel jumps up, runs to Eli and says, you called me. I heard you. And he goes, no, I didn't, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So a third time, God says, Samuel. And, and he runs, and he goes to Eli and says, you called me. And now Eli realizes this is God speaking to him. He says, you go back, and if he speaks to you again, you say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And God comes to him that night and calls him again and gives him a message to go give to Eli. Oh, and by the way, his attitude is just like Daniel's was. What God just told me, Eli, I wish would happen to your enemies, not you. Because God's called me to tell you that because of your letting your sons do this, your, your, your family is no longer going to be having the lineage of the priesthood come through them. And your sons, you want proof that this is going to happen? Your sons are both going to die on the exact same day. And that'll be the proof from God that this prophecy is true. You go back and look. Eli's response is this. He's God. And he's just. And if that's what he's decided, it's going to happen. He humbled himself. Folks. Years ago, I had a great-grandmother who lived to be 102. When she was in her 80s, she was in a car up in Connecticut on a four-lane highway, actually eight lanes, four lanes this way, four lanes that way, and it was icy in the wintertime, and they were in a horrific car accident. There was four of them in the car. She's in her late 80s at this time. Both of her legs are broken badly. They're so wrecked in this car that they can't get out. And they're in the middle of the highway because they've gotten spun and cars are zipping by. And they decide to have a prayer meeting in the car. Nothing you can do. Wait till the ambulance comes. So they all hold hands, two in the front, two in the back. And they take turns going around the circle praying. This is my great-grandmother's prayer. Lord Jesus, I am your child. Do with me as you wish. By the way, she lived to be 102. Can't wait to see that lady again. A godly woman who humbled herself. She had a hard life. She outlived all of her family, her children. But God has a plan and God has a purpose. And we have to acknowledge that God alone is God. He's the most high. And he's able to humble those who have pride. What can we learn from this? Beware of pride, humble yourself, submit to God and his plan for making you right and righteous in his sight. We've already touched on it, but let me remind you in case someone asks you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That's Jesus. We all know John 14, 6. Jesus said himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Go with me real quickly though, to Jeremiah 9, though. A lot of people don't realize that the gospel of salvation and faith in God's provision for their sin and having a relationship with God is in the Old Testament too, not just the New Testament. Jesus himself prayed in John 17, I have given them eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and him who you have sent. But look at Jeremiah 9 verses 23 and 24. Might not be a bad verse to get in your heart. 
Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I spent this past weekend driving 1,100 miles, meeting with pastors around the state and speaking at a church and meeting with their elders at a banquet Saturday and speaking at the church on Sunday and then meeting with some elders on Monday and then again with another pastor on the way back. And I did 1,100 miles from Friday till last night right before Bible study, and I had an awesome time. But in one of my meetings with one of these pastors, he's getting close to retirement, and God's used him mightily in ministry And he's now been handing his ministry over to younger guys. And the younger guys asked him this question. What do you want your legacy to be? Because in their minds, you got to leave a legacy. And his wonderful answer was, I want everyone to say he knew Jesus and loved Jesus. That's all I want my legacy to be. I don't want it to be known that I built these many churches. He started many churches. I've got this great ministry. I want people to say he knew Jesus and he loved Jesus. But we've been taught, leave a legacy. No, it's not about you. It's about him. It's always about him. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You've got two minutes. I'm going to give you two last scriptures in two minutes. You can make it. I think you can. Hang on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're going to close tonight with wisdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Look at chapter 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I love you. See you next week. Thanks for coming.